We're going to talk about, for those who want to be happily married ever after, uh, today's our 46th anniversary. There is an app. Have you heard about this? This is a true story. Where you take a, a selfie of, your, of yourself, submit it to the app, and it will tell you how old you really look. Now, for some of you, it might be depressing. So, dude, you look 192. But others, so my wife of 46 years, my 70-year-old wife, and it's okay to say that because she says 70 is the new 29, she submitted a selfie to this app. And the app came back and said, girl, you look 27 years old. And I said, that's a sign of a good husband. I'm taking full credit. Now, here's some pictures of us. That's us in the middle getting married barefoot in Mokalea. Uh, Karen made my shirt and her dress. She's actually wearing her dress, her wedding dress today. Uh, she makes things that will last. So, uh, and there's our 64 Volkswagen Bug that uh, we got away in. Now, Karen is not perfect. She's perfect for me. And that's what you want to find in, in a spouse. I know, that's really syrupy, but sorry. But uh, uh, we're still in love. I was supposed to say this. She really is my soulmate, and I found a scripture for that. We, uh, we're still best friends. But the thing is, that can change tonight because of me. I, I sometimes call myself Captain Doofus, uh, Captain Stubborn, you know, occasionally slam a door or snort. Not cocaine, but just, you know, just like that woman, you know. Uh, for instance, uh, we were, quote, communicating this is this past week. And this is not old history stuff. This was the other day. Uh, so to give you a background of the story, my, grand, my granddaughter, Aria, my first one, along with her dad, so my son-in-law, Kiari, are part of the mission team in Costa Rica. They'll be back next week. They've already completed the house. It's amazing what they've done. So they're down in Costa Rica. Nessa, my, grand, my, my daughter, is with the other two grandkids on Maui. They're visiting friends. And so they're supposed to come home soon. And Vanessa texted to Karen and said, I I'm ready to come home. And Karen tells me, oh, Karen, Vanessa's ready. I go, oh, OK. So the next morning, I inexplicably and foolishly uh, said, wow, I'm surprised Vanessa's ready to come home early. What? Someone's pointing to. She's right there. Well, she usually comes to church, so hi, Vanessa. <laughs> Just, okay. Anyway, I, I said, wow, I'm surprised she's ready to come home early. And that's when it began. Right away, she goes, no, 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 no. It's not early. It's, but what she meant is that when it's time to come home, she'll be ready. So, okay. Uh, I said, all I said was, okay. Just, to me, I thought I meant, no, 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 no. It meant, and she's explaining again and again what the, my daughter meant. And so, I'm not kidding, like six times, she's, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. No, what she really meant, okay, I get it. And then finally I go, hey, so why are we arguing about it? She goes, I'm not arguing. I'm explaining. Wives, you need to write this down because this is too good. I'm not arguing. I'm explaining. You're arguing if you disagree with me. See the difference? 
I heard la laughter from women and groaning from men. They've been there. Uh, gosh, I'm reminded of Billy Joel's song. She never gives in. She just changes her mind. She's always a woman to me. Anyway, okay, I really do not believe there are big secrets to a happy marriage. I, I believe that God, the God of love, created marriage between one man and one woman there in the garden. I believe the same God of love gave us instructions on how to have a happy marriage. So we're going to do four points this morning. First is companionship. They all begin with C. Second is commitment to that companionship. Third, we're going to have some fun with. We're going to do a communication. We're trying to leave you with something this morning where it's really um, applicable. Whether you're married or not, we all tend to communicate. And then fourth is going to be Christ's bride, which brings it all home. So first, companionship. We're in Genesis 2, 20. There will be just... There'll be scriptures this morning. They're all on the uh, overhead. But you'll probably want to take notes. So for companionship, you know the background to this. Adam, it says, for Adam there was, found, uh, there was not found a helper comparable or suitable for him. And, and you know the background. Adam's there in the garden by himself. It's a perfect garden of paradise. He's naming the animals. He notices there's two zebras, two hippos, two giraffes. There's none for me. So there wasn't a helper suitable. Now, I like what the New Living Bible, New Living Translation says. It's like, but still, there was still no helper just right for him. And I think that's what a companion is. You're not forcing yourself to be there. When, when I first met Karen, I was uh, supposed to sing in a wedding uh, for Bill and Danita Stonebreaker, the pastor at the time. They were doing their 10-year anniversary. And I needed some pants hemmed, and I conveniently figured out that Karen can hem them. So I went by her place. She was doing a live-in granny here in Haliva over on the beach. And I went by for five minutes to get my pants hemmed. We talked for 12 hours, but it seemed like five minutes. And that's when I knew, I'm in trouble. This one's a keeper. So it, it was, she was just right for me. It, we never worried about, is my, do I have haunas, do I have bad breath, is my hair okay, are my teeth good, you know. It, it was just so much more natural to be around her. So uh, as opposed to a Canadian, now I know we have Canadians in our midst right now. This is nothing personal. I'll prove it in a minute. But there was this girl from Canada at the time who was here on a visa. Her visa's running out. She has to fly back to Canada unless she marries an American. We did not get along. And I thought, Lord, am I supposed to marry her because she can be an American? And are you punishing me <laughs> just like for all the things I did wrong? I honestly had these mind games. I don't know if you've ever had mind games. But I thought, am I going to be punished for the rest of my life for damage I did before? And I was so glad when, no, she flew away. So then with Karen, she's a good fit for me. It's just something natural. We don't have to work at it, all right? So companionship, and again, in, in Genesis 2, the, the, the key is how do you find this person? I literally had friends back then in this church who said, we have to help the Lord out. 
come with us bar hopping in Waikiki and we'll find you a wife. And I said, no, thank you. You know, I just, now they would go. And the funny thing is I was the first one married out of all of them. So I, I didn't need to help the Lord out. Uh, my, I had a very simple prayer. Maybe you've heard this before. I've gotten in trouble saying this before. Lord, you brought Eve to Adam. You can bring what's-her-face to me. But I didn't say what's-her-face. I just said, you can bring my bride to me. I know people don't appreciate my sense of humor. But it, it was just such a simple prayer. Lord, I, I'm not here to looking for a wife. If, if you, if I'm abiding in you, I think it'll happen. I, I think whoever's supposed to come into my life, it will be there. It'll be uh, your touch. You delight in doing these kind of things. And so uh, that's what happened. Now, with Adam, until Eve came along, all he was doing, he was faithful to do what God put right in front of him. That's all. You told me to tend the garden. You told me to name the animals. I'm going to do what you put right in front of me. He didn't, you know, sit in a corner with his arms folded and say, I'm not doing anything until you give me a wife. He didn't have that attitude. So once you find that person, here's the deal. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? How do you walk together? Like if, if you're a gal and you're trying to make this guy work and you bring him to church and all he does during worship is he fidgets and he's looking at his phone and, so, and you go, okay, welcome to your future, okay? Is that really what you want or are you agreeing in this relationship, we're going to honor Jesus Christ. We're going to uh, walk with God. So the idea is we agreed, Karen and I agreed to this battle plan. Every date we started with prayer. Every date we ended with prayer. We knew uh, when it came to hormones, I'm not a Superman, she's not Wonder Woman. We said, don't get the juices flowing. Don't even get started so our testimony, and I stress that's our testimony, we didn't kiss until the wedding day. Consequently, we've got about 90 pictures of our first kiss because everybody there knew on our wedding day. But we thought, hey, we can't get started because where do you draw the line? And so we made our decision when we were not tempted, when we were sober, when we were just, uh, you know, just there in the daytime and Okay, this is our standard, and we kept to it, and we would remind each other uh, about it. So First Samuel, we didn't know this verse. It's a real easy one to remember, 1, 2, 3, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3, 0, where God says, if you honor me, I'll honor you. Now, I didn't know this, but we didn't know this at the time, but we did it. We thought, okay, we're Christians. That makes a difference. You have to understand, we're also hippies. And at that time, everything was free love, free drugs, all that stuff. And we're going, oh, no, 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 we're following Jesus Christ. That's in direct opposition to the ways of this world. And so we made a commitment and we kept it. We had no idea of this promise. But I love at weddings to be able to tell someone, you honored God when no one was looking. He will honor you when everyone is looking. And for the last 46 years, God has honored. He's blessed us. You know, the Ephesians 3.20, above and beyond all we could ask or think. 
I, 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 it's sometimes embarrassing, but I kind of like it. So here's God's promise. Now, if you are premarital and it's involving sex, you're messing up the whole equation. And you need to know that because it really muddies the water. It really confuses the mind. And it just, uh, yeah, it's hard to hear clearly from the Lord because you've done something that was supposed to be held back to the wedding night. Now, if you're already married, I'm not, I'm not hassling you if you fell here. If you're not married, I'm encouraging you. This is what you want. This is what you want to honor him in this area of your life. Okay, so that was, that was companionship. Now we want to talk about commitment to that companionship. Now, this is fun. Ecclesiastes 4.12. Now, what exactly is said, before we quote that scripture, what is said, what is meant by wedding vows? By that, I mean, dearly beloved, we're gathered here, if it's, you know, old King James, dearly beloved, we're gathered here in the sight of God and these witnesses. And you go, okay, what exactly does that mean? Is God seated here? Uh, nobody's here. It means Father God, it's like the, the groom, here he is, just a second, everybody, before you all, Father God, hold me accountable. And he will. From this day forward, I do. I do. Wait, wait, wait you, you do if she does? No, no, no. I'm committing, I do. Now, it's funny, with Karen and I, we never had premarital counseling, uh, but we had the pastors and all the elders high approval. We never knew what we we're going to say in the wedding. We just showed up. And at the end, we're literally taking pictures. And it hit me. I turned to Karen. We never said I do. Are we really married? I mean, all my life. You know, you wonder, will I say I do? And I never said I do. So do I not have to? And this, now the thing is, I get to say I do for the rest of my life. Are you still committed to, I do. Do you still love her? I do. Do you still put her above, I do. And so you get to say it for the rest of your life. So here's the deal. When you say, I do, people go, oh, don't you mean you do if she does, and she will if you do? No, that's, that's called a contract marriage. And it's good to understand the difference between a contract marriage and a covenant marriage. A contract is very simple. I will do this if, operative word, you do that. I like using Pastor Al as an example here. Before, <clears throat> before he was a pastor, he was a full-time painter. And so if I hired Pastor Al to paint my house for 2000 whatever it would cost, hopefully he'd give me a discount, the contract would say, Al, I will pay you 2000 if you paint my house. Outside, I will paint your house if you, you pay me 2000 Most people, when they come in for post-marriage counseling, so now they're duking it out, they're talking about a contract marriage. Because they'll come in and go, I don't know, he doesn't love me like Christ loved the church. Yeah, well, she doesn't submit. I said, what, what are you doing quoting the verse you're not supposed to know about? That's her verse. That's his verse. You worry about that. It would be so refreshing for a guy to come in and go, I know the problem in my marriage. I'm not loving her like Christ loved the church. Okay, get out of here. You're good. But 
the contract is the if. I'll do this if you do. Covenant. We're back to Al. Al, I'll pay you $2,000 whether you paint my house or not. Al's part, I will paint your house whether you pay me or not. That's the marriage covenant. I do whether they do or not. I do. Father, hold me accountable to this. I do. I call it the I pledge allegiance. And notice I do it in one word. I pledge allegiance. It's like in New York, when they would drop us off for school, uh, Catholic school, we'd have the playground, you know, and before, and then the, we'd say the, the uh, national anthem. I don't know if they still do that. I don't know if kids know it. But I would go, I pledge allegiance. I had no idea what I was saying. And I thought it was the world's longest word. I pledge allegiance. I just knew it was the thing to do, and it felt very good and very patriotic. But in 1971, I got a draft card. Whoops, sorry, I pushed the wrong thing. In 1971, I got a draft card drafting me to Vietnam. It's the same pledge of allegiance to the same flag, but now it takes on a whole new meaning. Now it's not feeling groovy and this thing to do. It's like, I've been drafted into a war. I didn't have to go, by the way. But the thing is, the I do on the wedding day can be like, I pledge allegiance. Do you take this woman? Yeah, I do. It feels like so good. But then Satan tries to draft you into this war. It's like he paints this masterpiece. We used to go on these um, field trips into either New York City or when I was in, Can in D.C., we go into D.C., Smithsonian. You go and see the Rembrandts and the Van Goghs, and each one of them had a signature. And you go, wow, what a masterpiece. Who, who's responsible? You go, oh, Rembrandt, no wonder. But in marriage, Satan draws this masterpiece of disaster, and he hands it to you, and you go, that's what's wrong with my marriage. Who's responsible? And he signs it, your spouse. Doggone it, it's her fault, it's his fault. And another one falls for the stupid image that, that Satan does. And instead of going, okay, I'm being drafted into this spiritual warfare, I'm being drafted into this, oh, it's kind of like before you're married, he does everything to try and get you into bed with each other. After you're married, he tries to do everything to get you out of bed with each other. You're in this war, this tug of war. I pledge allegiance. I still do. That's what the, the marriage vows are about. That's the commitment to the covenant. So in Ecclesiastes, it says the threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right? This was from our, our wedding vows. So it's, it means that Christ is the third fold. Husband's one, wife's two, Christ the third. And, and so what it means is the Christian marriage has resources that the non-Christians don't have. We have an upper hand that they don't even know about. We, and this upper hand comes with power. So Christ is the third fold. And then you go, well, how will the presence of Christ affect your relationship? We use a book called Before You Say I Do for premarital counseling. It's probably the funnest thing I do as a pastor. I just, I've done it for over 40 years. Absolutely love it. My wife likes it when I do it because I come home and I have to kind of follow through. And in that book, it constantly asks this question. Oh, you're a Christian. Awesome. So what? How does that affect your marriage? 
Do you have the presence of Christ in your home or do you live like the rest of the world? So what I've done in counseling is, uh, especially if they get at each other, okay, wife's over here, husband's over here, or the two Bs, and then I put an empty chair in the middle. I go, okay, now the empty chair is Christ. We're practicing the presence of Christ. So now, um, what were you saying to her? Because you say it through Christ now. And you want to go, excuse me, could you just duck for five seconds? No. No, anything you have to say to her, she's my daughter. And all of a sudden, the fear of God enters your body. She's the daughter of the king of kings. He's made an eternal commitment to her. So what were you saying? And then he turns to her. She's thinking, man, this is great. What did you call my son? Ah, ah, can I delete See, when you practice the presence of Christ, it's like getting a phone call. Remember the old phones with the extension thing that lasted for three miles? And the phone rang, and there were four kids. I got it! And you just run. But the thing is, okay, with that phone, we have to go pre-cell phones. For some of you, that's mission impossible. But there was a time when there's no cell phones. And the phone would ring. So let's picture you and your wife are just going at it. You're just, ah! And you're screaming. But... You, you had this third interview of this sweet job that you just can't wait to do. And all of a sudden you're going, and another thing! And the phone rings. What do you do? Hello. See, all of a sudden you have self-control because there's a third presence in the room, if you will. You have the self-control when you practice the presence of Christ. So the... the they're asking the question, okay, you're a Christian. What difference does that make? Is it a Sunday morning thing or is this your lifestyle? You see, we have scriptures. We have resources the world doesn't have. So in, in Romans 5, verse 5, that hope does not disappoint for the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us been given to us. We have his resources, love, joy, and peace. We have all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, we have what is needed, and it works best when husband and wife are walking in the agreement. Okay, let's, let's switch on to communication, and on this one, we're going to have some fun, okay? We've never done this live, and so we'll uh, see if this works or not. Um, in communication, I'm using Colossians 4, verse 6, where it says, let your speech always be with grace. What does that mean? Seasoned with salt. A little salt really makes the flavor come out in the steak, right? It's just like, oh, so much better. Go on. There's a way to put your speech seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer everybody, especially your spouse. Like, is there a way I could word this that makes it more palatable, easier to receive, or do I just get in the way of my communication? So, what's your goal, whether it's communication or conflict or just everyday stuff? My goal is I want to be happily married. All right, that's, that's a, we're on the same team. That's, I don't want to lose sight of that. So, what in this communication helps me being happily married or hurts me as I speak the truth in love? 
Okay? Now, I need two volunteers. Could you welcome up Miss Canadian, our, our people in, in charge of our marriage ministry, the Browns. All right, we're going to need some help setting up here. Again, we've never done this live. There's a reason for that. Boy, he's a comedian too. You know I have nothing against Can Canadians, right? No. I've heard there's some nice of them, but... Okay, can you hold that? All right. Okay. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to put a drawing up there. All right. Stanford, you're going to communicate what you see. And we're going to have a live feed of, Christine, you drawing this. Now, you guys need your poker faces on. Because if you go, what a bozo, that's not going to really work. Just poker face. But you're going to see, you're going to see what Stanford sees. And you're going to hear what he communicates, but you'll see if it really translates or not. Um, oh, we got a good couple. You're terrible? Perfect. Perfect. All right, so. Uh, no, we're only having one. Stanford's doing it. So how would you describe this? So you cannot see that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold that again. <laughs> okay, we said we never did this before. You're trying to see. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay. Give me a hand, man. Okay, there you go. Okay. So you're going to draw. Okay. Whether, whatever it is. All right. Okay, Stanford. All right. Huh? Wait. How would you, no, you can't turn it I won't, I won't. How would you describe this? Okay, the top third, um, you're drawing a mountain range. A whole bunch of mountains. Like, um, I don't know. Oh, like three or four, no, five peaks. Uh, then in the middle, you'll have a small heart around three inches with a, yeah, heart colored in red. I don't know if you can do that. With a, what is that, a pentagon? Oh, man. With two arrows on either side pointing inwards. She can't see my hands, okay. right? Not so fast. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, the heart colored red. Start, say what's next. Yeah, and then you've got one, two, three, four, five spiral rings about the width of the last third. Uh, what are they called? Circles? Circling down, no? Or on top of each other. Intertwining as they go down. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. All right. Good up. That's it. I know what I could have done. I know. All right. Sanford, what could you have done? Showing her the picture. <laughs> yeah, the mountain range. I didn't say that it went all the way across or that it was the top of the first third. I could have uh, said the heart was smaller. I don't know. Lots of. Actually, I thought you did pretty good. So thank you. Could you give it up for them? You get a free donut on your way out today. Thanks, bro. Um, 
All right, how would you describe that? Can we go back to the picture? There we go. Uh, we've seen fights. We've seen people that just get it completely wrong. On the original, it actually says top. And people, I actually put hers this way, thinking, oh, if she does landscape, she'll be going, what in the world are you talking about? And people see the top, and they just assume they're on the same page. So often, from the get-go, they're on the wrong, you know. The Bible says presumption brings nothing but strife. And so the, I've, I've heard arguments, what are you talking about? You know, and just first, and the two minutes helps because they're on a time factor. So what you could do for this, I, it's obviously it's, it's hard. See, here's my thing. This is crystal clear. Stanford is looking at, he knows exactly what he's trying to describe. But how do you describe feelings? Which is what's happening all throughout marriage. They're abstract, they're not crystal clear, and yet you have to, okay, I need help. I need help doing this. So on this, I thought you did good. Three, three things of, of first you say it's in portrait. Then I see three sets of figures, the top. Uh, what does that look like to anybody? I'm thinking Burger King. Burger King, well, obviously we have no Burger King fans here. When you have the Whopper, they give you a crown. Uh, one guy said, oh, it's like an upside down saw, a mountain range. Oh, see, it's, they're thinking in illustrations. So then the second one down, and it doesn't matter. I've had guys like, okay, it's like five centimeters. Let's fight about what's a centimeter. We're in America, we do inches, what's a centimeter? And it's like, okay, let the fighting begin. So it doesn't matter, it's abstract. There's some bumps, you know. Secondly, I, I see something in the middle that's like a, what would you say? Stop sign. Like a stop sign with a big red heart in the middle of it. And there's a big, like a fat arrow on each side. The one on the left is pointing to the right, right in the middle of the sign or just outside the sign. The one on the right is pointing to the left also equal distance. And then I see something. What do you see in below? If you're thinking of illustrations, you're saying, I'm thinking of a toy. Slinky. Thank you. And anybody 40 and above knows what is, I'm sorry, you're not 40, but, but you go, oh, I know. I'm picturing what you're saying. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Now, how do you do this? I have what I call the Paraguay principle. Um, I, I slept through a lot of high school. I'm sorry. I did really good in Bible college. <laughs> high school was boring. Except for South American studies. I had a guy, Mr. Hagen, believe it or not. And uh, fantastic teacher. So he got us all in, in, in a circle. In our, our, literally, we moved our, our, our desks in a circle. And each one of us was a different country in South America. I was Paraguay. Paraguay principal. We got so animated that if I heard Brazil is making an, a banana exchange with Uruguay, I would jump in. We would get so loud, so screaming at each other. And he was a great teacher. He got us involved. And so he goes, okay, here's the rules from now on for communication. Number one, no interruption. The problem is your brain thinks four to ten times faster than I can speak. That's why you drift during sermons. It's not the anointed, good-looking, humble guy up front. It's your brain. 
And you, you know, you hear something, you go, oh, that reminds me of a squirrel. You know, and, you just, and it's, we can think, but what the danger is in communication, you hear just the first few words. And maybe the other person's trying to formulate it at the same time, trying to think it through, and you're thinking, I know what she's saying, and I'm thinking, I'm not listening, I'm thinking what I'm going to say as soon as she, be quiet. And so now I'm arguing over what she didn't even say. And so what you do, you cannot interrupt. You have to pay attention, and then you have to repeat the gist of what he or she said to their satisfaction. It's not like, I know, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, that's not what I said. Oh, no, you said this or that. No, I didn't say that. And finally, after 15 tries, you go, so what did you say? Now you're ready to listen. Now you're ready to put this into motion. You go, okay. And then finally, she says, yes, that's what I said. Now, you might want to use terms like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is what you're saying. Because my goal is to be happily married. My goal is not to win this fight. My goal is to be happily married. And so often, I don't know about your spouse, but with mine, um, I think this is what you say, blah, blah. And she'll go, that's what I said. Then I can respond. Or she'll say, that's what I said, but it's not what I meant. So we start over again. But at least if we're going to argue, let's argue over the right thing. So permission. I, I think this is what you're saying. Again, we're on the same team. We're going to heaven together. Wow, I want this to work. And so correct me if I'm wrong. Now, if they're not catching on, just say the exact same thing, louder, yelling, screaming. That doesn't work. But that's often what we do. You know, it didn't happen with, with our, our fantastic Brown family because they're so well-skilled at this. But I've seen it before. What? And he, he'll just raise his voice. I said it's five inches. What? It's not. A... And so instead of using illustrations. They'll just say the same thing louder and louder when you go, um, I think there's got to be a plan B, something that communicates better. So I say, think. There's going to be three T's. Think in illustrations. I had some friends that uh, were actually in a mall. The guy took his wife to a mall thinking he's like Captain America. He's doing the best. He's the best husband in the world. And all she said is, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm t and then finally, he literally turns to her and said, I am tired of hearing you say you're tired. So she's thinking in illustrations. Plan A is not communicating. Plan B, think and illustrate. Let's share an experience where he'll go, oh. So she goes, hey, remember that time we hiked up that mountain? And we were so exhausted. And we saw that stream. We took our, our shoes and, and put our feet in the stream. Oh, man, yes. That's how tired I am. He had her off her feet in minutes and in a coffee shop because she's thinking now in illustrations. She's actually borrowing from his world, so he's going to, or in this case, a shared experience, so that he can't miss what she's saying. Next, tone of voice. Now, in our book, Before You Say I Do, I, I don't think you can prove this, but it says your tone is 38% of what you communicate. I'm not sure how you, I know it's a lot, it says your content is actually 7%. Content. 
I don't know what her problem is. I told her I loved her. Whoo, Captain, turn on. I'm telling you, man, that's just, it's getting steamy in here. Are you serious? That you're just like dead. That doesn't nothing. You know, I told her I loved her at the wedding. That's a lot. If it changed, I'll let her know. I mean, it's a tone of voice. Anyone with a dog knows what a tone of voice is. You can say all the wrong words with the right tone of voice, and that dog is, you know, <laughs> your mother's so ugly. You know, just like, or you can say the right words, screaming, I love you, and just like, what's your problem? Tone of voice, 38%. Now, if you are into the love languages, and your love language is words of encouragement or words of affirmation, I think tone of voice is more. It's more than 38%. It's like, whoa, why are you so mad? So the last one there is time of possession. So in a football game, believe it or not, they last three hours, three and a half hours, but, but the elapsed time is literally one hour. At the end of the game, they'll have all these stats. You know, first downs, time of possession. And if it was a good game, it should be about 30, 30 minutes this team had the ball, 30 minutes this team had the ball. If you see the stats at the end and it's 59 minutes this team had the ball and one minute this team had, that's a really boring game. How many of you, that's your marriage? And it's not just women who talk a lot. I had a next door neighbor years ago. <laughs> you know the kind where you try and say something and it cuts you off and blah, 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 just, and I just go, wow, and he's married now. On the main, I'm thinking, what's his wife like? Does she ever get a word in edgewise? So it's not determined on gender, but so often one person does all the talking, the other person does not. If you are the one who does not, it is time to creatively contribute to the conversation. Think in illustrations, tone of voice. But time of possession, and now I've actually done this in the past where I took a little football. I talk about time of possession, I go, Okay, you're speaking, you get the football. And then he or she's going, okay, now they get the football. And I thought it was genius until they started throwing the football at each other. And thought, okay, this isn't working too well. But time of possession. I have nothing to say. Creatively contribute to the conversation. So the three T's. Thinking illustrations, tone of voice, time of possession. Again, what's your goal? I want to be happily married. That's my goal. It's worth it. Invest in communication. Fourth, we'll close with this one. Christ's bride. It's amazing to me that of all the illustrations God could have used to illustrate his love and commitment to you and I as believers, he chose marriage. I, he could have chose so many. I know he goes, I want an illustration of love and commitment. So I'm the husband, and my, my believers are the bride, the bride of Christ. So it says here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul the apostle speaking to a church. He goes, you know, I'm jealous for you. He had started this church in Corinth. I'm jealous for you, but it's with godly jealousy. For I betrothed you, we'll get back to that in a second, I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So he's, he's using their, their um, terminology from that day where you would go 
An engagement, then, is a betrothal. Remember, Mary was betrothed to Joseph when she got pregnant. During the betrothal, you have all the commitment of marriage, but you can't live together, and there's no funny funny, okay? And so Paul's going, I betrothed. You're not married yet to Christ. You're betrothed, and I'm like the best friend of the groom. Again, borrowing from their imagery of that time. The best friend of the groom is the one who was appointed in this betrothal time. You watch the bride-to-be. You make sure she's clean. You make sure she's pure. So with, with Joseph, when Mary told him, I am pregnant, he most likely would have gone to his future best man and said, you failed me. What is this? She's pregnant. Goes, no, Joseph. I've watched her. I've been faithful. She's faithful. She's pure. I don't know how she got pregnant. Because as the best man's friend, or the, the best friend of the groom, that was his job. So here's Paul saying, guys, you're the future bride of Christ. Remember the illustration? You're the future bride of Christ. And, and I'm here to see that you keep it pure. And, and how many times you come alongside a Christian and go, you know, can I... Can I speak into your life, man? I see you drifting. You're judging me. Actually, I'm trying to be your best friend. I'm trying to steer you towards purity and all that. And so here's Paul doing that today. Actually, the Holy Spirit does a really good job of trying to keep us pure before him. So one time I'm on a plane on a mission trip. We're in Nepal flying back to New Delhi. And there's me and two other guys. And it's a small plane. And as we're getting uh, seating, I'm going, okay, there's two seaters. Uh, there's two guys, three of us. I wonder who I'll get linked up with. And it's curious. You know, you see somebody across. I go, huh, I wonder what her story is. Minutes later, we're on a two-seater. She's sitting next to me. All right, well, fat chance she can speak English. She spoke better English than me. And I took out my laptop showed her pictures of Karen and my kids and ministry and all this in Hawaii, and she's fascinated. So as we built this bridge, I asked her, hey, you're Indian. Do you, uh, you want to have an arranged marriage or a love marriage? Now, if you're familiar with that, an arranged marriage in India is supposed to be like 97% success rate. Love marriage, more like 50-50, like America. And of course, she's young. She goes, oh, I want a love marriage. And I said, you know, I, I have both. How, how's that? Well, my wife and I fell in love, but my heavenly father arranged it. And I began to share the gospel with her, and she prayed to accept the Lord, using, about, using the imagery of Christ's relationship to us. In closing, again, I don't believe there's a lot of secrets to a happy marriage. We talked about, number one, companionship. You know, the, the, that right fit. And if there is a scripture on soulmate, that's the one. We talked about commitment to be able to say, I do every day. We talked about communication and ended up saying, well, good luck with that. Uh, slow crowd. Speak with grace. Speak with grace. Do you ever tell the person, I'm your best friend. I'm not here to blow this thing up. I'm here to build this thing up. And then for, for the last one, for Christ's bride, I go to Colossians chapter 3. 
which says this, put on. So it's like get dressed. It's like you don't have these normally, so put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. The precious possession of a man is his, his diligence. I was going to say his kindness, but it's not a bank account. It's not good looks. It deals with relationship. So put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. That's going to be key for the rest of your life, whether you're married or not. If anyone has a complaint against another, notice this, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. In marriage, you're going to have multiple opportunities to forgive. How do you do that? Well, first, it's, well, as Christ forgave you, it's got to be real in me first. If, I'm, if I've really received his love and his cleansing and his forgiveness and, and just his new beginnings, then it's easier to pass it on. So the question comes, have you received Christ's love? Have you received his forgiveness? Because that's the basis of this. As Christ forgave you, now pass it on. And then finally, if you claim to be a Christian, how will that really affect your marriage, your relationships? Will you practice the presence of Christ and say, I know we're, having a, we're duking it out here. I want to invite Christ here. So we're in his presence, and I treat you like a daughter of the King of Kings. You treat me like a son of the King of Kings, and we'll figure this thing out. Amen?